0: Hey all we got a nice episode of Pistons versus Everybody for you tonight. We have Trevor Magnotti from The Step Back and Fansided on to talk about the NBA draft because the Pistons are doing things like losing by 20 to the Utah Jazz and nobody really wants to talk about that. Uh, this week's podcast is brought to you by Untuck It. Go to untuckit.com and get 20% off your purchase by entering promo code BLUE at checkout. That is untuckit.com. And use the promo code Blue. All right, y'all. Let's let's get it started.
1: Blue Wire. Blake Griffin has been traded to the Detroit Pistons. Blake Griffin. Turn drives, lays it up, lays it in. Reggie
0: Ball scores. He got it. Turn fires. He fills it up. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and tonight I'm joined by Trevor Magnotti of Fansided and The Step Back. What's up, Trevor?
1: Not much. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk a little draft with you.
0: No, yeah. I mean, this is much better than talking about the Pistons who suck.
1: Yeah, it's been a, been a rough uh, rough year and a series of rough years for you guys, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it really has been. And I'm hopeful, you know, some guys in this draft can turn that around. Uh, unfortunately, this draft has been kind of talked about a lot as a weak one. Uh, in your mind, what what makes a draft class weak? And, and does that draft class, does this draft class fit under that criteria? And how much does that matter?
1: Well, I think there's a few things that go into having a quality draft class. And we can look at the 2018 class as a good example. Um you want to have first and foremost star level talent. You want to have at least one, maybe two, maybe two guys that are going to potentially be like franchise changing talents. And 2018, you got Trey Young, Luka Doncic, maybe Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe DeAndre Ayton. Uh, there was plenty of that, uh, plenty of star level prospects there. Um, then later on, you want to, you um, you want to have guys who maybe not become stars, but are going to be at least quality role players for you down the line. So in that, in that draft class, you've got McCall Bridges. Um, you have Shea Gillis-Alexander. So guy, guys who look like at least quality role players in kind of the middle tiers of the draft. And then later on, you want to have you know guys who have outside shots at becoming productive role players, um, guys who – have some potentially kind of wait and star level talent, things like that. So there's plenty of that later on in the 2018 class. So you've got like Jalen Brunson and Devonte Graham as good examples there. Two guys who have, you know, Graham has shown potential, like quality starter level talent this year, and then Brunson has just been one of the most quality backup point guards in the league. So having all of that together, I think is what you're looking for in a draft class. And when we look at 2020, I think the reason that a lot of people are seeing this as weak is I think it's got the star level talent in Anthony Edwards at the top. I think it's got the potential quality role players that fill out the back half of the draft. I think it's really missing that middle tier. I think there is a lot after the first couple prospects in the class that kind of three to about like 13, 14 range those guys all kind of bleed together into one jumbled tier, and it's a tier where I would probably not rank many of those guys alongside, you know, like an RJ Barrett level prospect or like a Jarrett Culver level prospect. Last year, um, it's it's a lot more guys that are kind of at like the PJ Washington, Tyler Hurrow. Uh, tier where, you know, they've got some significant issues that they'll have to work through if they're going to become star level players or they are, you know, role players who you might have a little bit of difficulty seeing become much more than like a sixth, seventh man on a good team. So that's kind of where I think a lot of that issue is coming from is just there are a lot of guys or we're missing kind of that quality starter tier that you typically see fill out like the back half of the top 10
0: when you have a guy like an Anthony Edwards at the top of the class as well, though, like how, what level of prospect is he? Because he doesn't appear to my eyes, at least to be like in that Luca Trey tier, he seems to be closer to uh, a guy that he was like, you know, compared to in Victor Oladipo, which is like, which is a good player, but not necessarily at the level of a Luca. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's, that's another factor here is that the, the prize, so to speak, at the top of the lottery for the teams that are bad is a guy who probably would not be taken above any of the top prospects over the past like five, six years. Um, when we look at the guys who are like consensus number ones, like Anthony Edwards is, um, so that's looking at Carl Anthony Towns, Ben Simmons, Luka Doncic, um, or, and DeAndre Ayton. Um, And then Zion Williamson and you can probably throw in like Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker and Joel Embiid into that conversation. I kind of throw 2013 out for this just because like there was not a number one prospect that year. There was not anything close to a number one prospect that year. Um, But when you look at all those guys together, I would probably throw Edwards, maybe not or definitely not ahead of like Zion or Cat or Ben Simmons. But I would probably throw him in. Like along with like Markel Fultz and with Wiggins and Embiid is in terms of level of prospect, um, Embiid factoring in health concerns, but just guy, these are all guys who, you know, they had talent. They had clear talent that you could see, but the context around like how useful that talent was going to be in the NBA was the issue. And I think that's what we run into it too with Edwards. I think it's very clear that he's a star level player. He's going to be a multi-time 20 point per game scorer in the league and probably top out as maybe like a 25, 26 point per game scorer. I think he's that good in that aspect, but his defense is going to be an issue. And I think that there's a potential that he is just kind of another variation of like a Devin Booker Um, that who, those two actually play very similarly. And I think if that's the case, that's going to be a little bit of an issue for, um, or for teams that are evaluating because, you know, Devin Booker is a player that probably puts a cap on what you're able to do with him as your number one guy.
0: Hmm. Okay. That's, that's interesting to think about because like at the like you're right at the at the top of the class I don't know if I don't know if like Devin Booker is considered like a franchise altering talent Uh, we've seen the Phoenix Suns kind of struggle to put together a winning team around Devin Booker despite the fact that he's you know still very young but now he's getting paid and so that I don't know how good or ill that portends for Anthony Edwards uh Edwards was at the top of your big board, which you released uh late last year. Uh, that's the that's my last 2020 joke, <laughs> I swear. Uh people can find that big board on Fear of the Sword. I'm gonna link to that uh when we when we uh release the podcast. But uh the biggest thing that I noticed about your big board was that one very notable name was missing. Uh why is Jay's James Wiseman not in your top thirty?
1: So the thing with James Wiseman is, yes, he is a, a he is an elite size and strength athlete. He has great physical tools. He has all the physical tools you would want in the world for anybody in the NBA, much, uh, much less like a like a power forward center combo type, which I think is what he's going to project as. Um, he has been very productive in his limited time in college and also was very productive in EYBL, which is like the AAU um, main league that um, everybody kind of watches to get an idea of these high school prospects. My issue with him is that when you look at what he was good at in college, it's a lot of stuff that is that makes you a very limited NBA player. Um, so he was really good at finishing plays really good at kind of filling space and presenting himself to catch like when a point guard goes towards the rim like presenting himself for the dump off pass to be able to complete uh, complete a play that way um, pretty good pick and roll finisher things like that really good in transition Um and defensively he had this insane block rate but most of it's come as like a post up guy he is or so he has two things that are two really good skills that like 10 years ago would have made him really impactful. But now he really struggles with the things that modern bigs have to be able to do on offense. That means having any creation ability. He hasn't really shown much of that. Doesn't really have good shooting indicators. And I don't think is a passer to any relevant level as, as a big man. Um, and I think that he also is going to struggle with kind of the speed and vertical ability that you need to have as a pick and roll finisher. I mean, the best pick and roll finishers in the league, like DeAndre Jordan, Quint Capella, they're not only great strength athletes and not great only great weepers. They are guys who get going towards the rim very quickly before the defense has the ability to react and then are able to use their length to get over the top and also explode up in traffic and be able to go over the top of people. Wiseman struggles with that a lot he struggles to do much other than load up off two feet and that makes him that takes him from kind of that elite pick and roll finisher tier and into kind of that next level where you're looking at like a Tristan Thompson type in terms of his ability to kind of explode up in traffic off um, off the catch and be able to go up and, and finish at the rim defensively, he has some of the worst fundamentals that you will see among bigs in the class in terms of being able to defend on the perimeter. He does not recognize responsibilities in the pick and roll well. He does not change directions very well either. So his mistakes are very pronounced there. And I think that that is a significant limiting factor for how good he's going to be at this level. I think that he is going to have to undergo significant fundamental improvements to even become like a functional starter level NBA center. I see him much more in kind of like the Ed Davis Role The John Henson role, um, where it, somebody who's super long, super strong, but doesn't really have kind of the finer skills and decision making power to really be able to take advantage or full advantage of their athletic gifts. And, you know, the difference between that type of player and kind of that next tier under like looking at guys in, throughout the league like Dwayne Dedman is a good example or like Ken Birch for Orlando. You can get guys who can approximate the value of that type of player for much cheaper than it's going to be over the course of James Wiseman's career to be able to build a team with him on the roster. He's going to command, especially because he's going to go in the top five, a much higher contract with that. And I think when you factor that in that his likely a role in the demand that he's going to place in terms of the salary cap on how much you're going to have to play him. I think that that makes him kind of like an opportunity cost um, negative in addition to those things. So I don't think that he's ever going to live up to a contract that he's going to get. And that's kind of why I have him lower down is because I just don't see him being valuable to a winning team in the way that some of these other guys who may not have the same physical gifts, but kind of fit more logically into modern NBA roles might be able to.
0: Okay. So it's, it's not just that he's a center. It's that he has a lot of development work to even be the type of center he's being billed as right now. Okay. I
1: think, I think a good, Comparison for him is the the guy who's kind of rising up draft boards as a center. Look at Wiseman versus Anyeka Kongwu of USC, and you see how much more logically a Kongwu fits into the modern scheme. You know, he's a guy who already has established positioning skill in terms of his ability to. W- make weak side rotations make impact plays in help defense at the rim on defense and then also he has that kind of fleet foot athleticism to be able to kind of explode up and you know be able to take off from like eight ten feet away from the rim off the catch and be able to finish at the rim in the pick and roll and I think that's something that Wiseman lacks so like you look at those two guys in comparison to each other and it's much easier to see how a fits in like a starter level capacity for Team than it is for Wiseman.
0: Okay. I bet I buy that. Uh Okonga was is a guy I've been interested in only because uh, he he's a little bit undersized. And so that makes me wonder about how he'll will fare in like the pre draft process more so than anything else. I think you I think you're right in that he will be like an effective NBA player, but I because he's only like 6'9 but plays taller. Uh, I don't know exactly like how that plays in a, in a draft that where people are going to be kind of digging for something that they feel they can get uh, better than in I think about last year, what happened with uh, Brandon Clark, who's turned in who uh, everyone on draft Twitter was kind of screaming about would be like a really effective player, um, but still fell to like the back half of the first round, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think a is getting more of kind of like the national media attention. his, impact is like a traditional rim protector, where Clark was much more of kind of like the Al Horford type defense, where, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of like cutting off drives, deterring shots at the rim, things that don't show up in the box score. Uh, Kong Wu's got a block rate of like 12% right now. And I think that that's what's helping him is he is making obvious impact on the defensive end. And I think like athletically, while he's not Tall enough, I think he's got enough wingspan combined with his ability to jump both vertically and horizontally. He covers a lot of ground when he leaps, and I think that that helps him too. I think that he's got enough athletic indicate indicators that teams kind of already have their eye on him, and I think that it's going to be less like a Clark situation where, you know, we, he really needed a good combine to be able to help him and he really didn't have one um, to help him kind of gain traction. I think a Okongwu is going to be more like confirmation bias at that point with like teams already know that he's a, ta- a talented player. And I think that they're going to kind of add, or it's not going to necessarily like detract in the same way that Clark's Kind of poor performance did if he, if he you know measures maybe under six nine or he measures with a wingspan that's maybe like an inch off of where it's where we think it is right now.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So the first surprise on your big board was Wiseman not being there. The second surprise was Isaac Okoro at four. Like uh, I I freely admit I have not much watched much Auburn this year. Um, you know I'd see. I see draft Twitter talking about him a lot, but when I just like look at the box score, he's a six six wing shooting twenty one percent from three with more turnovers than assists. So like, help me out. What what am I missing on Isaac Okoro?
1: So the thing with Okoro is that there's potential that he's like a generational defensive prospect. Um, he is one of the most gifted. Intelligent uh, players in this class in terms of his ability to recognize plays as they develop, cut off drives, um, be, be able to both defend centers and also be able to mirror guards on the perimeter. He just looks like such a good fit as like a switching defender in a modern defensive scheme, be able to handle defending up, mul- up multiple positions. I think that he can defend fives. He has that level of strength and then also be able to contain guards on the perimeter. Um, he makes a lot of good impact um, plays off ball in terms of being able to pick up steals that way, anticipating passes, cutting off drives before they happen one pass away, um, provides a little bit of weak side rim protection as well for that Auburn team. Um, has really fit kind of seamlessly into the role that Chumo OK who plays for the Magic now had last year. And I think that he kind of fits a similar role and has shown to be a little bit better at that in terms of his ability to just switch and be kind of like a free safety on that team. And I think that when you factor in that he has a surprisingly good handle for a guy that's his size and doesn't have much shooting capability, um, I think that there's a potential that he can offer some value as a driver. And I kind of think of his offensive Uh, value as maybe like in the mold of like a Draymond Green not saying that he's going to be that level of defensive player but that he is going to offer a lot of defensive value and then offensively is going to be able to do enough playmaking, uh, dribbling out of face-up situations. Maybe he adds a corner three, something like that, that can add a little bit more offensive value. And suddenly you're talking about a guy who only needs to kind of tread water on offense because I think that he is going to be like a a winchpin all NBA defense, multiple years type guy that you can build your defense around. And that's why I have him ranked so high is because I really value what he brings to the table on the defensive end of the floor. And I think that there's potential that he could kind of usher in. There's been a little bit of talk about the NBA's next move could be kind of going to front lines that are very small and able to switch in kind of the TJ or PJ Tucker mold. Of defensive player being the next the new wave of fives and i think that okoro could be the type of player that can make that happen um and and kind of help usher that along we see it a little bit in the last couple of playoff uh, years in the playoffs that's kind of been the way that teams trend to be able to counter size and i think that he could be that type of player that could really make that pronounced
0: okay so but like if at one end of the spectrum we have like draymond green and pj tucker And at the other end of the spectrum, we have like Michael Kidd Gilchrist is and say he say Okoro doesn't necessarily hit that like 90, 85 percentile outcome. Like, is that a really a guy I want to be taking at four?
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely think there's there's risk involved with that, but I also think evaluating kind of the way the rest of this class goes, there isn't a good option at 4. <laughs> I I don't think there is a pl- there is going to be a player that if you're drafting 4th, 5th, 6th in this class that you're going to feel comfortable taking 4th, 5th or 6th in this class. Um I cuz I think that the, I think that I rank Akoro at this level because I think that he has a legitimate NBA skill and role, Um, and I I think that he could be a guy who is upper echelon in the NBA at certain things, and I think that there's just a lack of that elsewhere in this top half of the class, like comparing him to guys around him. Do I expect Tyrese Maxey to be like a top seven eight player at any one thing in the nba right now probably not i don't i don't really see that for him do i expect killian hayes to have that kind of value no not really do i do expect nico Mannion to have that type of value maybe but um i i think it's in a in a area where there's already multiple guys ahead of him in this class with Cole Anthony and LaMelo Ball that kind of bring the same value. So I think that when you look at the top players in this class, if you're going to have a Coro in kind of that tier three, and I can understand the argument why you wouldn't, um, but if you're going to have him there like I do, I have a hard time justifying putting – that many guys ahead of him just because I think that he brings that level of value on the defensive end in a way that you aren't going to have kind of that singular skill to hang your hat on with a lot of these other guys
0: you ever see an untucked button down it looks really bad why because it wasn't meant to be worn that way thankfully there's untuck it the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked No matter your size or your shape, untucked shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. You know, it is is January 1st of 2020. We are post Christmas. I know you have a bunch of Visa gift cards hanging around because that's what I have. I got some Amazon gift cards, some Visa gift cards. Uh, My family is good with presents, but like when we're doing a Secret Santa or whatever, like we just like pass around some cash. It's like it, it is what it is. You use that cash pick up some untucked shirts. You look good for the new year with more than 50 plus fit combinations. Untucked shirt look, looks great on tall, short, slim and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels that's pretty nice in the winter, outerwear and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com. And promo code BLUE for 20% off. The next thing I kind of wanted to talk about was how heavy uh, into into point guards this draft is. You mentioned like three guys right at the top of the draft in, you know, Cole Anthony, uh, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Maxey, who is probably a point guard at the next level. Mm-hmm. You got the two French kids and Killian Hayes and Theo Maladon. You got Nico Mannion. You got Tyrese Halliburton. You got Trey Jones. Like that's, that's like seven names, but. No one really needs, like, uh, no one like desperately needs a uh, a point guard prospect around the league. Well, maybe like the Knicks, but like other than that, like you don't see like a dearth of uh, of point guard uh, point guards around the league. What uh, what does that kind of cause the the draft to to look like in your eyes? Because when when I when you were talking about how this draft uh, you know is missing that kind of second tier. Of stars and all the guys who look like they could be in that second tier are all at positions that everybody already has. Like, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think that that means for like how transactions might occur in in the early part of the first round.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be really interesting. I think that the teams that need a point guard are going to really try to get up into into that top tier, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a team um, like the Knicks if they end up at, at maybe like five or six, um, or even a team like like Detroit, who you know plausibly I I'm not I'm sure they're not. Really looking at Derrick Rose as the long-term future of their point guard position. Fair, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that they, I think that that could cause a team like them to maybe see like, oh, hey, like. We're getting down to the fourth pick, and Lamelo Ball's still there. Maybe I, should, or maybe we should trade up um, and be able to secure like a top level guy. Um, I think that what's gonna what's gonna be interesting is to see if this goes a lot like twenty seventeen did, where there was this surplus of big men in the middle of the twenty seventeen draft, and it really seemed like there weren't a lot of teams in that spot that or in that area that needed big men. And then the teams just kind of took him anyway. Like, uh, you know, you had T.J. go, you had D.J. Wilson, you had John Collins. Um, you, you, there was a run of about like five, six big men in the back half of the first round that year. And I think we could see a similar thing here in this draft where maybe, you know, some of the point guards fall a little bit and they don't end up ranked, or in that top 10 range that they all kind of projected to be at the beginning of the year. But maybe we have a run in the back half of the lottery where, you know, maybe Maladin falls and maybe Hayes falls a little bit. And then you get those guys a couple picks later, Tyrese Halliburton goes. And then a couple picks later, Trey Jones and Keir Lewis go. Um, I, I definitely see teams just kind of picking up those guys anyway. I think what helps that is that a lot of these guys – especially once you get past like Hayes and Mannion, a lot of these guys project to be kind of like part-time starters and or like high-level backups. Um, Like that's what I expect Halliburton to be. That's what I expect Keira Lewis to be. And I think that that could help teams kind of logic their way into, into actually drafting these point guards where they're valued is that, yeah, they may not be like a starter level talent, but this is the best thing that is there in the draft right now and there's an outside shot that they may become something more, but we're expecting them to be like a rotation player that's our quality backup point guard. I think what this draft is going to do is it's not going to like cause like an influx of high level point guard play like the that like the 2009 through like 2011 drafts did. I think what this is going to do is it's going to kind of stock the league with backups and it may end up squeezing some of those like mid-tier guys um like, you know, and Knight who's on the Cavs and is probably looking to maybe stick around for one more contract in the NBA. He might have a really tough time getting one this summer because, you know, suddenly all these teams that might be in the backup point guard market have like a development piece that is that guy
0: that okay that tracks so maxi and hayes are the two guys that are right next to each other uh, on your big board um why why maxi over hayes i guess is is my first question
1: um I I think that is one of the harder decisions that I had on my board was kind of like ranking that group with Maxie Hayes and Mannion. Um, Maxie, I just trust that the the skills that we're seeing, he may not be putting up the production that we have or that we want from. A player of his type at Kentucky, but I think that he has enough skills where you look at kind of some of his shot-making moments, um, some of his decision-making within the flow of an offense, swinging the ball and uh, finding the the gaps to be able to finish, Um, and then just his defensive versatility I think makes him attractive even if he's not necessarily putting up the num the numbers I really want to see him kind of continue on through the year and see if things stabilize a little bit just because he did start off so hot and then he kind of fell apart for a little bit while and now he's kind of stabilized it somewhere in between I want to see if he can kind of continue to improve and get back to closer to what we saw in the first couple games of the year um because he's a guy where it's unlike like Cam Reddish where you know he had a bad statistical season and we could pretty clearly see why he was having a bad statistical season. Maxis doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So um, I want to see if that continues. But, you know, the comparison to Hayes, I think, is Hayes is a little bit more raw as a playmaker. He's a little bit more raw as a handler. Um, he is able to make a lot of high-level reads in the European game, but he struggles with kind of the technique on passing. And I think that he needs – that causes him to have a – pretty astronomical turnover rate. I think he was, he was over uh, 25% of his possessions that he finished were turnovers at, uh, through the first two months of the year. And now he's back down around like 23, 24, but still that's very high. So, um, that's kind of my worry with him is that he's just super turnover prone. And also I think is struggling a little bit with kind of lead ball handler responsibility. Um, I think that he potentially is, is going to end up being that type of player, but I think that it's going to take a little bit longer than people are expecting. So that's why I have him a little bit lower is I think that Maxie's proof of concept makes a little bit more sense to me, even if his numbers aren't great right now. Um, Whereas Hayes, I I think it's going to take a little bit longer to kind of get into a rhythm where you can rely on him as like a functional NBA player. I think he might be like a, like a guy who, is spends a lot of the first year kind of learning on the fly, and he's either a wreck or on the bench a lot, and then kind of stabilizes in years two and three. Whereas I could see year one Tyrese Maxey having a little bit more impact.
0: Yeah, the other thing that I've noticed about Hayes is that he has like he's ginning esque and how left handed he is, yeah. and that can that's going to be a problem at, at higher levels. Um, but the reason I'm particularly intrigued by Hayes is because he's French, and we got Sekou Dumbuya. And they appear to be pretty cool, and it would be nice to have two uh, young French national dudes uh, coming up through the through the piston system for a reason uh, to hope. Like I can see that pairing being effective. Hopefully,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think that both of those guys complement each other a little a little bit too. Where you know Demboya has kind of shown flashes of being this really high level slasher, and if you've got a really talented uh, guy at finding those types of guys at the at the rim with the ball. I think that that's a that's a really exciting combination. And when you factor in the length that those two guys have, um, the ability to play multiple positions, yeah, it's it's an it would be an exciting pairing. Um, definitely, I want I like Killian Hayes in a lot of contexts in the league. I think there are a lot of teams who could find a role for him. I think it's just going to take a little bit longer than people think, and that may teams may realize that, and that may knock him down a little bit when it comes to where he ends up going.
0: All right, the last point guard in your top ten is Nico Mannion. Um, I'm not going to lie, I saw that stat about Nico only having like three baskets at the rim in the half court over the course of the season. I just like checked out on him entirely. <laughs> Uh, is there is there a reason to believe he can be a better uh, finisher at the rim and the half court settings at the uh, at the next level with with like more uh, with more like strength training or something?
1: Yeah, my concern with him is that he's Rubio again, um, and he's going to be Rubio that can shoot, which is going to be interesting or which would be certainly more effective. But I think that he's going to have or he is the same kind of type of player where like he does not have the physical tools to be a talented finisher at the rim and i think that he could potentially be a significant problem at that spot um you know you know i think i think that his frame is not one that I look at and see a ton of physical development possible with Um, now, you know, that he could end up getting a little bit more core strength and that could end up being the difference that I, that maybe not the raw strength does, but maybe it helps him in kind of that middle range where, you know, suddenly he is able to develop an elite floater game and maybe that helps him. But yeah, I think, I think that that's my big, concern with him. And that's why I have him lower than some of the, some of the other uh, draft Twitter people is that I, I just don't know if there's a path to him finishing and we'll talk, or, and I've talked about this with Darius Garland before with, uh, for the Cavs, but if you can't finish you being in a pull-up shooter does not matter because teams will sell out on you on the perimeter and it doesn't matter if you can blow by them because they're playing you tight because they can just have somebody hang over the top and contest you and suddenly that's a a victory for the defense because you're not a good enough finisher to be able to power through that. Um, And that disrupts all of the the pros of having a very good pull-up shooter as your primary point guard. Um, so that that's my big concern with him, um, and I'm a, I'm very interested to see kind of how that all works out and how teams value him despite that, especially if these this aversion to taking shots at the rim continues.
0: Does he have a Does he have a nice floater game? Because I, I, that would be, I guess, the next logical progression in like how do you how would you counter teams selling out to? Uh, to stop you if you're a great pull-up shooter, if you can't finish at the rim. And it, it would be to try and finish in like the 8 to 10 foot range. Does Mannion have kind of a nice floater
1: he, He's got a good package of kind of crafty moves. Um, he, he's a very good handler, and I think that he can kind of snake his way through tight spaces in ways that a lot of a lot of other guards can't, um, and that could be a potential salvage point. The other thing is he could potentially benefit in the same way that Rubio did from his ability to kind of pass at those odd, weird angles through the defense, because um, he shows a lot of that talent, too, and that was... How How Rubio kind of got by for the longest time was without the threat of the shot, he was able to kind of create space with his ability to make the or thread the needle with those passes. You had to press him tight and really disrupt his field of vision. Because otherwise he was going to be able to find teammates around and through the defense. And I think that that could be a potential value, too. I don't think that he has the same floater game as Garland. And I think that that is going to be a limiting factor for him. He needs to get better there. But he does have some other craft and an acceptable floater game that, you know, I could see a path to him being at least like a starter caliber player. But if we're talking about like, is this a guy that's going to be able, you're going to be able to build a playoff team around? And I don't know if that's the case.
0: Okay, so that's that's pretty much the 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 guys I'm interested in in the lower half of the top ten, and we've already been talking for a while, and I don't want to keep you. Um, So I want to talk about some guys that you didn't include at all in your top thirty. Vernon Carey, who is a productive uh, big man, highly rated recruit at a major program. I'm surprised he's not getting more like national attention, and he's not in in your top thirty. Um, what kind of, uh, what kind of role do you see him playing at the next level?
1: I think that he, if, if he ends up having the shooting become like a real thing, I could definitely see him being like an Ennis Cantor type. One of those kind of throwback guys that you throw in for eight to 10 minutes and kind of carries your bench unit because he can just post up smaller centers and, Um, you can find a lot of effectiveness that way. Um, I, I could definitely see him having that role. My issue with him is that he's just not an NBA caliber athlete. Um, he does not move well enough on, on the perimeter. He, um, does not really have the level of vertical leaping ability that you want. And I just don't see a path to him being a useful defensive center. And at the center position, you have to be a good defender to be able to survive. Um, and especially as a starter level player, you just have to. Um, so I, I think that he could have a role, especially if his offensive game continues continues to develop. He's a guy that you know, if you were going to take him in the twenties, I could understand the justification for it. Um, I, just, I just don't think that he's as talented as some of the other centers around. And I think there's better bets and better uses of kind of that backup center position than like the Cantor role. Um, I think that you've got to be really, really talented as a post-up player to be able to make that work. Um, and, and Cantor is, um, and I just don't know that carries there. So I, I kind of struggle with seeing where his value is going to come because of the type of role that he's going to probably have to go into.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And the last guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, another guy who wasn't in your top 30 that has really impressed me from a statistical perspective, and that's uh, Obi Toppin. Uh, Why why isn't Obi Toppin in your top 30?
1: Yeah, Obi Toppin's a tough one because I think that he mirrors Kyle Kuzma really well in that he's a guy who can be kind of this versatile, dynamic scorer um, and has a shocking level of kind of self-creation ability. And I think that there's a role for that in the league. My concern with Toppin is that he is going to be very situation dependent um, because he is not a great passer, um, doesn't really have much defensive um, showing, I mean, he is carrying a huge load for Dayton and we do fat, I do factor that in when I talk about guys defensive performance, but he doesn't really seem to show the decision making that you need a guy to be able to make, even when he's locked in on the defensive end, um, to be able to be a, cons- a consistent player. Um, I think he is going to be a guy where if he comes in, in a spot that's going to give him the same type of latitude that the Lakers gave Kuzma from day one as like a bench, uh, bench unit carrier as a scorer, I think he could end up being a very valuable NBA player, but I think that there is a higher likelihood that he's going to go somewhere that is going to try to force him to be something that he's not. And I just don't know that he is going to be able to provide much value if you aren't giving him significant scoring load. And I also wonder, you know, it kind of remains to be seen how well this translates, especially because he's doing this as as a mid- mid-major school um, on on a team with not a lot of talent around him. I kind of wonder if he's a good enough scorer to be able to command that kind of high scoring load role that like a Kuzma is is able to command. And – I, th- I think that he's a guy that I just can I just need to see more of and and be able to kind of pick out does he have some of these other skills that you need as as like a productive bench unit player um, to be able to warrant him getting the type of role that he's that he's going to be best in at the NBA level.
0: What what kind of situation do you think? Uh... Obviously, you you said what kind of situation you thought he would be effective in. I'm thinking, like in terms of specifics, like what what team do you think could use and and OB Top and type?
1: I think like Minnesota would be a good landing spot for him. Um, a, a team yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, too. a team that you know has like a produ- has like a productive like either uh, big man or wing creator and then needs somebody to carry the offense when that guy sits um, because they may not have like a elite level point guard play. Um, so I would, I look at like Minnesota is a good example. Honestly, Detroit kind of, kind of makes a little bit of sense um, where, you know, when Blake sits, if, depending on what they do at the point guard position, that second unit is going to need a little bit of help because it, you can't rely on like Luke Kennard to be that guy. Um, I, th- I think that, you know, looking at a team like the Clippers would, would make a lot of sense to um, a team like the Rockets um, pretty much anybody, any team with like a high usage star that you need to just worry about like those eight to 10 minutes a game where they're not on the floor and not having your entire offense die. I think is, is the type of situation where I would like to see top go.
0: Okay. No, I can. Yeah. Especially uh, the Clippers isn't one I had thought about, but as they continue to scour the earth for uh, big men that they can play over Montrezl Harrell, uh, that, that does sound really interesting as a, as a guy they lean on in place of Harrell, because it sounds like they don't trust Zubach for whatever reason. Um, all right, Trevor, Uh The last thing I wanted to ask you was just, uh, as a, as a guy who's evaluating all of these college players and as a guy, you know, with a, with a 30 person, big board, who are you, uh, surprised I didn't ask you about in the context of like, who would be good for the Pistons? Who should I have asked you about that? I didn't.
1: Mm, That's a good, that's a good question. Um, because I the guys that I like for for Detroit, um, kind of kind of looking through are I like some of the guards for them. I like Killing Hayes. Um, I I like the idea of some of the bigs too. I like I I, I like a Kong Wu, um, in particular. I would like Oscar Tashibo from West Virginia. I think would be a good fit. Um, I think I think that the guy that I'm surprised that you didn't ask about is RJ Hampton of uh, the New Zealand Breakers. I think he is a guy that is kind of he, he's lower in my top 10 right now, but the more that I watch him, the more I see him as kind of one of those guys that may establish themselves in that 3-5 to five range. And I think that he would be a, an interesting fit because he seems like a type that is going to be able to be both a pretty good scorer and also a pretty solid playmaker from the uh, from like the point guard position, that could also play some two guard, and I think that his ability as like a, as a driver is going to be something that's re- that's really interesting to throw in an offense with Blake Griffin. Um, he also has shown some really impressive off ball capabilities as a shooter, um, and works well in like dribble handoffs, which is obviously ideal for any team that's built around Blake Griffin, you got to have somebody that can create those opportunities going towards the rim off of DHOs um, because that's what you're going to want to run him through. So I I think that he is a guy that makes a lot of sense for this Detroit team. And I think is going to continue to rise on my board. The more that I watch him, especially if he comes back and continue, uh, from his injury and continues to play at the level that he was f- through the month of December um, before he got hurt. Um, I think that he is the guy that of anybody that I have outside of my top five that I would bet on to be in my top five coming June.
0: All right, Trevor, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work. Uh, let them know how they can follow you on social media. You know, Shout yourself out.
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Illegal Screens. Um, you can find my work at The Step Back and also at Fear the Sword. I am releasing my personal big boards At Fear the Sword this year. Um, It's written with a little bit of a Cavs context, um, obviously, but uh, I try to keep it general, too, so that if you're not a Cavs fan, you can still kind of understand my thoughts and and where I'm coming from with how I rank these players. So um, you can find my personal big boards there. My individual prospect breakdowns are at the step back and then just general, um, general stuff on Twitter at legal screens.
0: Illegal screens is like a top tier NBA Twitter name. Like, great job on that Hey, I got
1: him. I had to pick something that was modeled after my one skill and pick a basketball.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week.